0: Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and the recently released Pretty Ugly. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Allison Martine author of the bourbon books which include dibs in september and move on melinda today we are joined by the amazing tanya mitchell the author of a feigned madness tanya welcome to vox vomitas welcome thank you very much i'm so glad to be here we are very excited to have you um, not just because your book was amazing, but because your book has several signature cocktails, which we can also talk about <laughs> later. And your book has signature cocktails, and it's about Victorian and Victorian-era mental institutions. So it's a great combo of two of the things I love. <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> Tanya, can you tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and a little bit about A Feigned Madness?
1: Okay. Okay. Um, So I'm going to plug the cover. This is A Feigned Madness. It is the story of a woman who came to be known as Daredevil reporter Nellie Bly. Her name was Elizabeth Cochran in real life. She started out as a reporter on a small paper in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she really did some heartfelt stories for women and the paper hadn't really been representing women. And so she almost immediately had a following and a byline, which for somebody who was only not even 21 at the time was unheard of. So with that following and that growing audience, she thought, well, I'll go to New York and I'll make it even bigger there. So a couple years later, she ends up going to New York and no one will hire her in New York City because she's a woman and she's just absolutely flabbergasted. And she's there for maybe four or five months and she's running out of money. And then one day on her way home on an elevated train, she leaves her purse on the train and it's got the last of her money in it. So she's absolutely desperate. She doesn't wanna leave New York and go back to Pittsburgh because she feels like it's gonna look like failure. And so she takes one last shot and she goes into the lobby of what is the largest newspaper on the planet at the time. It's Joseph Pulitzer's New York World and strikes this crazy deal with an editor there That she will go into an insane asylum by faking insanity for 10 days undercover and then write the story when she gets out. And as if that isn't bizarre enough, he doesn't even really promise her that he'll employ her. All he does is promise, well, you know, if it's good enough, you know, we'll consider maybe maybe having to do a couple more stories. So but she did it anyway because she was that desperate. Honestly, that sounds like an R&R from an editor. It's like the same idea. It's like, do all this
0: work and maybe, just maybe, we'll consider it later. Right. And then you're like, right. oh no, I almost went crazy during this process. <laughs> <Same> <laughs> right. Same my
1: my yeah. life almost ended. Yeah, right. It is the but same. Just imagine, because it was the two of them really cooking this up. Imagine if he had gotten run over by a, a train or something like that. And oh. All- All of a sudden she's in Blackwell's and there's nobody to get her out. I mean, way more worse things that could have happened with this, but luckily they they did eventually pull her out.
0: You know, I knew the history of this going in yet as I'm reading your book and, you know, truth be told, I'm on page 290. uh, (laughs) I have not finished it yet. um, I'm still having that panic attack of what if something happens to the editor, even though I know, (laughs) even though I know nothing happens, but like, I'm still just like the like the back of my neck is sweaty and I'm thinking so many things could go wrong. What if he forgets? What if he just counted the days wrong? Like, right? how does he know? Like she's going to be like, it's day 10. And he's going to be like, I think she's probably on day six now. <laughs> right. Like, cause he's not paying right. attention
1: <laughs> and things are getting worse. You know, it's not like, Oh, well now I know what it's like. I'll just have tea and you know, my three meals a day and you know, I'll, I'll- while the hours like that, it's like no, the superintendent was really wondering who she really was. She wasn't there were some there were some curiosities about her, and the longer she was there, I think the more they really thought, hmm, is she really who she says she is? So she's butting up against that as well well, and I was gonna
0: say i I was enough familiar with the story to know the big plot points, but not all the all the details that you bring out, and you do such an amazing job that. Even though I also knew, okay, she has to get out because otherwise the story wouldn't have made it through, at least not in this way. There is so much detail and so much just to the point where you're going, I don't even know if I can keep reading some of these details because they just hurt to read. You just do a phenomenal job. So anybody who's like, I'm a little squeamish. This is a book maybe to take in in chunks and installments and then get back into it because it just drives on. but. The other part, you weave such another story with it that it's not just told from those ten days in the asylum. So I'm really as just as much curious about all of that and where that storyline came from. Do you want to speak a little bit to that and her her time with the flowers? Yeah. I know what you're going to say. Can we um, talk
1: about the flowers? The flowers, yeah, talk about The flowers. So Nellie, when she does get out, eventually writes to um, installments for the New York world that happened consecutive Sundays. And back then newspapers were okay. like eight columns across and the text was like six point or something. It was tiny, but they were really long stories and they were accompanied with black and white illustrations. Um, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the flowers. We were the flowers.
0: About, like, okay, so there, she's in the institution, but then you also weave this other narrative with her and a oh, certain yeah, yeah, okay.
1: and so, flowers. From the time that she got out and wrote the story, she knew that it was going to be a newspaper audience. And so when you read it, you know what's happening inside and how bad it is and what she's facing. But you don't know anything personal about her. Why was she so desperate to, to get there? Was she married? What kind of a family did she have? So I brought all those questions to her 10 days in a madhouse that is now in book form. You can actually order her installment and thought, how can I embellish this? Because there's so much more to her than what she puts in her story. And so I read her biographies. I looked up her family. I found old letters that she had handwritten that were at the Carnegie Library in Pittsburgh. Um, I went to see her, her home in Apollo, Pennsylvania. And I really started to put the meat on the bones. But Probably the biggest surprise was that there's a paragraph in 10 days in a madhouse where she talks about this man that comes to see her. And this is where things kind of took off for me. And I kind of got that spidey sense, like there's something going on here and I need to really dig more. So she went the way of the police court, police courts to get to the asylum. So she was actually arrested and she stood before a judge. But the judge felt really sorry for her and said, you know what, I really hate to send you to Blackwell's, but let's have these illustrators that were at court, you know, illustrate your likeness, put them in the newspaper, and then maybe you'll be found that way. Because her whole story was, I have amnesia. I don't know who I am. You know, she was acting crazy at the same time. And so she's absolutely frantic that somebody is going to recognize her because of all these illustrations that are turning up in the papers. So when she gets there, she's got a couple visitors that are coming in looking for their long lost sweetheart, their long lost wife or whatever. And of course she's not that person, but then there's one person that comes and this is taken right from her own words. This is what she says. I went to the sitting room at the end of the hall and there sat a gentleman who had known me intimately for years. I saw by the sudden blanching of his face and his inability to speak that the sight of me was wholly unexpected and had shocked him terribly. In an instant, I determined if he betrayed me as Nellie Bly to say I had never seen him before. However, I had one card to play and I risked it. With Miss Grady within touching distance, one of the nurses, I whispered hurriedly to him in language more expressive than elegant, don't give me away. <laughs> I knew by the expression on his eye, in his eye that he understood. So I said to Miss Grady, I do not know this man. Do you know her? Asked Miss Grady. No, this is not the young lady I came in search of. He replied in a strained, in a strained voice. The sudden blanching of his face. He had known me intimately. I'm like, who is this guy? Why yeah. would she put a whole paragraph about someone like this and not tell us who he was? Why would she? Intimately. Tell us intimately. Like she was yeah. like reaching over me, you know, over my shoulder and saying, "Oh my God, you have you have to tell this story." I, I couldn't believe it. So then I started investigating who this guy might be. She hadn't been in New York for very long, so no one could have known her intimately. It had to have been somebody back in Pittsburgh. And if I, if I looked into Pittsburgh, the paper itself, who would I find? Well, it so happened that there was another New York correspondent there that had been on the same paper as her that was in New York City the same time that she was, and that was George McCain. So I was like 98.5% certain <laughs> that it was him. I like that
0: you chose him because I find him to be so dreamy and amazing. (laughs) And in my brain, he's Adam driver. Everybody's Adam driver to you. (laughs) Well, he's very tall and he's dark and him. He's all dark and handsome. Yeah. I I didn't picture him as Adam driver at all. Well, if there's somebody pretending to be insane and then there's a love interest, (laughs) I am the insane one. And
1: it's always (laughs) going to be
0: Adam driver. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, I, but finally, no, I couldn't find out much about him. There was so much about her. There was just a little bit about him. And so I went to ancestry.com because I really wanted to know oh. more about him. Like, And I found a picture of him and he was very, very handsome. Okay. Who does and he look was like? About her same age. Okay. And then I found something else about him that you guys know from reading as far as you have that other readers don't know. Perspective readers don't know. And I don't don't want to say what that something is, but it made it very obvious to me why she didn't mention who he was, nor he never said, even after she got out and he wrote articles about her and how proud of her he was and how much he was so happy she was getting all this fan mail and all these speaking engagements. He was so happy. He never said once that he had ever gone to see her in the asylum. And I thought, okay, I know why how can I make these two communicate in a way that would be the way they would have communicated in the 1880s? And so then I thought about, I have to do the language of flowers. And so I use these cards of a way that the two communicate with one another throughout the
0: book. I love it so much. I mean, I just have to say as um, just as a storytelling device, it is lovely. And it oh, is so, so much. Um, like, it's so Victorian era and I love the Victorian era. I too, I too. wrote, uh, a book about a a, a, a a hospital or a hotel that's, you know, where ladies go to rest. Mm-hmm. And drink laudanum tea. <laughs> and drink laudanum tea. Um, it certainly, I mean, it wasn't as vicious as Blackwell, but I just, no. doing my research of this whole time period, um, I just became, like, very, like, not obsessed, but, like, I love all of the customs, the the supposed politeness that's happening and like what's happening underneath.
1: Right. The terms well, and embrace, I found that they have such a beautiful flowery language that goes so well with all those layers of clothes that they're wearing. Mm-hmm. But yet women are still so constrained. You know, the, the, the technological marvel of the industrial revolution is, is taking off and there's more and more modern things coming, but it just seems like women are still sort of trapped in their corsets, you know, not able to being out alone without the presence of a man. And, you know, there was dating etiquette. It wasn't really dating, you know, your, your parents are present.
0: Yeah. It's people leaving their calling cards at your house and you're just sitting in a stuffy room while you're sweaty because you're wearing a thousand layers. Right. And like your great aunt Margaret is just sitting there watching (laughs) you not flirt with a man.
1: (laughs) 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 That's exactly how it
0: was. (laughs) Or in Elizabeth's case, a guy who she's not even remotely interested in just keeps showing up and keeps showing up. And it's like, yeah, will he please not be here anymore? And there's <laughs> nothing she can really do. <laughs> there's, she, has know. To, she has to go to Mexico to get away from this yeah. guy. Yeah, she has no agency at all. She's yeah, just and, like... Um, please leave Ooh. me alone. And her whole family's like, you should definitely marry him. <laughs> right. Because he's acceptable. Like, that's all. Yeah. He's alive. Right. He seems to be all right. And We've that's given really... him the
1: thumbs up. It doesn't matter that you find him deplorable and he's 30 mm-hmm. years older than you. You're going to do it. Right.
0: But you're <laughs> like fine. 21 now. And look, your prospects are not getting better.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be 22 and not be married. Well, and oh, one of the big no. things no. That no. is that no. so much of Nellie's story is
0: driven by poverty and her own family poverty and how everything got to the point of here she is supporting not just herself but her mother and she's not able to make choices based on what's really best for me but what's going to get me to pay back rent and what can I do because she is dependent on men in so many ways including giving her jobs and men squandering family wealth and things like that right and even story and I, I wouldn't I hope this isn't considered a spoiler but part of the reason she's in this is that her father had multiple families and when he passed away, didn't provide for her family. Right. So all of that puts her in this position where, yeah, she does have to go out there and take ridiculous risks. Right. Because otherwise she's never going to have a chance unless she can go do something different, but that's not where her heart is either. So right. some of these risks are on her, but some of them are also on this. And, and
1: she had so many issues like that, that that were men letting her down, even though, mm-hmm. even though her father, you know, didn't die intentionally, he, he became ill and, and died suddenly. He never provided a will for his second family, and so right. the ten children that he had had with his first wife, who had died, all the because he was quite a wealthy man. They lived in a, a very large, like ten thousand square foot home. They had you know horses and carriages. She had a pony. She dressed in these pink dresses. I mean, they they were a well known family, but when he died, most of their fortune went to the other ten children who were already themselves adults because. Um, Nellie's mother was a good 30 years younger than her father. So he dies when she's about six and they go from living large relatively to renting a, a small home and having to get rid of everything because they, they just can't afford it anymore. And then even more disastrously, her mother remarries a few years later oh, and could not sorry. have chosen a worse man. And To her credit, I don't think anybody knew what he was until after they were married, but, you know, he was a drinker, he was abusive, and Nellie Nellie was spunky even then and actually testified in her mother's behalf in court and would say all of the vulgar words that he used to call her mother, you know, and she's, you know, 12 years old at the time, so that was another man that had let her down, so... I think that's when we see the emergence of the spunk in her and her realizing that if she doesn't take agency herself, she's going to end up nowhere because she can't really depend on men.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like her sister is saying like, oh, you know, you've never been in love. You've never done this. Oh, you don't know anything. But like Nellie, it's coming from like this point of actually being this very emotionally sound observer of kind of this lifetime of strange
1: tragedies. Yes. Um, Very strange tragedies. Because
0: it's like, it's just like the way things lined up. It's like, how did this happen to one person who, when they were six years old, they had a pony and lived in a mansion? Right. And I think that and that gave her such a great perspective, too, because I think that especially when she gets to the asylum, she runs into people who maybe never expected anything different out of life because they always kind of were the downtrodden. Right. Whereas Nellie had seen both sides or Elizabeth had seen both sides. There's a lovely story or whole idea about how she ends up with the pseudonym. And why she ends up with a pseudonym and why the women were being told to take pseudonyms, but not the men. And I just, I just thought it was interesting because I, I write under a pseudonym, but it's not because I'm a woman. It's because I write in two genres. Right. And I thought that was so interesting that they're like, Oh, we can't, we can't reveal her identity and why that would make a difference. But the men weren't expected to do that. Right. Was right. that, was
1: that a common practice back then? Do you know, or was it that, it was a common practice that particular. Okay. So not just, yeah, that particular it was a common paper. practice. It was, it was, First of all, it was considered quite vulgar for women to write for papers anyway. So if you were going to go down that vulgar path of being so spunky to to think that you could even compete with men in that (laughs) way, you better (laughs) not do it with your real name. You need to hide. Call your spunkiness down. What's that?
0: I said, like, calm your
1: spunkiness down. That's right. Channel your spunk into a different name. Yeah. One of the older women who works on the paper in Pittsburgh that she meets that sort of takes her under her wing, but it doesn't last very long was Bessie Bramble. I and hate her. Actually- <laughs> what? Her. I said, I hate her. Yeah. I, I love her name,
0: by the way. I love, I love her, her name, name, Bessie Bramble. Oh, yeah. Gosh. It's like, I hate to say this. That would be a great burlesque name. <laughs> Okay, hey, this is how we're different. I think it sounds like a it sounds like a Hobbit name. Like oh, I thought a superhero's girlfriend and or a burlesque. Okay, hey, that's
1: Betty Ross, <laughs> yeah. and then move on. I think Bessie Bramble sounds like an old Southern dessert to me. Would you Ooh. like some Bessie Bramble? Yeah. Would you <laughs> like your Bessie yeah. Bramble with a side of ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> that's- no,
0: that's that's peach co- like peach, peach crumble. crumble. So, but then <laughs> Bramble, Bramble, yeah, Bramble Bramble, crumble, Bramble, crumble, I'll eat it. it. Enough. <laughs> is there a hungry. Bessie Bramble cocktail is it is it spiked with just arsenic in there? <laughs> the Bessie Bramble cocktail is literally just rubbing alcohol with like a, <laughs> like a black olive in
1: it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. But there is there's a situation <laughs> with this older woman who you want you want her to take Nellie under her wings, but when it becomes inconvenient for her to do it, she sort of you know throws her to the wolves and you know, that wasn't something I wanted to sugarcoat. That was something I wanted to let people know that, Hey, even when women did get to a point where they were elevated to a level where they could report, it wasn't like all the sisters got together and were hugely supportive. It wasn't necessarily like that. Okay. Well, that's been
0: So competitive though, because like, it's like one newspaper and they hire a woman oh, and that's, that's shocking. It. <laughs> and then they hire a younger woman.
1: No. Right.
0: And that's like even more shocking. So like, I could, Understand Bessie Bramble's fear, but it's not forgivable. It's yeah. not, and I was going to say you do really cover this whole idea of not just she does have some female friends who are other reporters, so it, it isn't just like these two lone wolves fighting each other. Yeah, um,
1: but when but she also, gets to New York, yeah, yeah, to York.
0: exactly, exactly. I say one of them is Fanny.
1: Is it Fanny and Violet? Am I making those up? Is that and right? Viola, it's Fanny. Viola, Viola. Okay. and they're oh. real people, and they were on the New York World. They were um, stuck within the confines of what Viola likes to call petticoat journalism. I loved so that. I loved in, that. I wrote, wrote that in, down. Fashion. Well, I kind of made it up. But they were stuck in, you know, fashion and town gossip and, you know, theater and care. Ladies
0: like, at right. lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. Ladies
1: at lunch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they didn't like Power it shows. either. But I sort of made them, I kind of went out on a limb and thought, you know, if Nellie's doing this and she's friends with them, she she would definitely want to help them. And so there's there's that scene where they're all together and she's saying, you need to go to Cockrell and say, this is the kind of stuff that you want to do, because if I'm doing it, you guys can do it, too.
0: Well, and I, I really also wanted to point out, because you we talked a little bit about how the men had let her down. When we get to the asylum, the men aren't helping, but the the big bads, ah. primarily the women. And yeah. I don't mean the other inmates. I mean the right. nurses. And the right. nurses are. I mean, terrifying. I had no idea. I mean, when you have these ideas of these older style mental institutions where they're just abusing patients, I had no idea it was like woman on woman, just violence and cruelty for cruelty's sake. Right. And I'm I'm assuming most of that's in Nellie's book. I don't know how much of those things. Then you you researched more or maybe made up like the A lot chair. of
1: it is <laughs> is in her own write up. Grady was almost immediately a villain. And there, you know, I don't think there was one nurse who was kind that when she gets to the other the other um hall. Yeah. When they moved most up. of them and I, I think more than anything else, this is me just guessing. I think that those positions drew women who weren't very well educated to begin with. They didn't really have a have a lot of quote what we would consider nursing knowledge at this time. And so it was a way for them, who had been down on their luck, didn't have a lot of money, to come in and and be able to have power over somebody else. And maybe
0: these weren't like the marrying
1: kind of, right? Women. Like they
0: right. they we can take that in multiple ways. Either they're homely, yes. they are, you know, their sexual proclivities have made them. Um, be kind of victims in their own right, like as children and maybe they just like anger out. I don't know. Like I try to figure out these nurses because you depict them so brilliantly and brutally (laughs) that you're I'm like, it's like a pack of hyenas to me. Yeah. But but as a, a fellow writer, I think all writers were just like, oh I just like, why? Why are they happened? like? Right. Yeah. What happened? Like, what happened when you were a kid that made you right. think that? What's what story the Things that, makes you that happen like this? in the the lavatory right. are okay to happen.
1: Right. Right. Well, and
0: so much of that too. It seemed like if it was one bad apple. But it's like no, this is a magnet for the apples to all go and rot, or one makes the other one worse and brings that out, and then it just becomes the system that feeds on itself. And it, again, those are the parts. Right. Where I'm so glad you had both stories in there because for those who haven't read it yet, it kind of jumps yeah. to two two years apart timeline wise before she goes in and while she's in. Yeah, because if I would have had to read that straight, I, I would have had to. Be yeah, like, okay, I've, so had of, I've had a lot of.
1: I've had a lot of people years. say the same thing, and. You know, honestly, people have said, well, you know, it might have been a little better if you weren't so brutal. Maybe if you could cut out this part of that. No, and I, you know, you need oh, that sorry. I don't want to sugarcoat no. what it was like back then. Mm-mm. You know, you're not writing that really historical
0: fiction that's like pretty fiction. You're not <laughs> like, like, oh, not it's the Victorian era, but like everything's like everyone's lovely and clean. And, right. right. And oh, it's it was not awesome. That kind of women, story. And it wasn't that kind of happen.
1: story for her. So no. I felt like I had to do her justice and talk about how really ugly and awful it, it was well now,
0: I like you, oh, sorry I was gonna say I felt like you absolutely did but I just wanted to praise the fact that you were using those two different timelines so yeah. it didn't become for a reader so if for anyone who's watching this now and goes, you know I'm kind of interested in the story but could I handle reading the book you can yeah. because you have that you have like that respite every other chapter to go back to the language of flowers and these right. other people and her struggling to come up in the world versus she's literally having the clothing stripped off of her these things happening to her so my I had a question so we were talking before the show that you have a journalism background Mm -hmm. so how much of your uh, like spunky journalist persona of who you are went into like your research of this and your passion for who Nellie was
1: I have always been one of those people that will go down deep dark rabbit holes because i loved and the darker and scarier it is the more,
0: <laughs> the more i want to go down there's no judgment here
1: <laughs> i'm just going to drink to that you keep going
0: i'm like well, I, as a horror I'm writer i have a drink I'm of my
1: like, nelly fly yeah. i mean honestly <laughs> it was so interesting to me i mean Mental illness has a long way to go even now. I think we're still putting people in a box and saying you're different than us. Yeah. But it is a lot better than it was. And there's medication now that, you know, that there wasn't then. But I went down a dark hole, <clears throat> excuse me, and got as much information as I could. I mean, I read everything from books on Blackwell's Island. Like everything going on in that island was bad. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to put these nice homes and, you know, this, these couple of businesses, and then we're going to put an insane asylum there. Oh no, no, no. We're going to put a penitentiary for men. We're going to put workhouses for the poor. We're going to put an insane asylum, a hospital for the, you know, people who can't afford it. I mean, it was like no man's land. It was, it was terrible. And people often didn't come back. It was a one-way trip. But I think to answer your question I used everything that I had learned in journalism school to dig up as much as I could. I mean, I found a map from 1888 on Etsy that I blew up poster size of Manhattan so I could figure out how where the ferry would have left from um, Manhattan to get over the East River to Blackwell's Island. It has Blackwell's Island on it, and it shows where the asylum was. It shows where all the elevated trains are because I had to, I wanted to be specific. Like, I don't want her going to some station that wouldn't make any sense. Like I, I had to know, would she have walked to the newspaper from where she was or would she have taken a train? No, she would have taken a train and it would have taken about this long of time. I mean, that's just kind of what you have to do to get in, to get into that area. And I loved it. Well, and the detail you do is it's phenomenal. So you just kind of become part of that era. And it just
0: becomes really flowing. So I never got pulled out of any of that. Oh, I just, you, you did a wonderful job, but I also don't know nearly enough so that if you had some kind of, uh, other than someone's checking a digital watch, I would have been like, that seems anachronistic. <laughs> other than that, I probably <laughs> would have let you slide on it. But just the way you present it is, is just so masterfully done. Um, I did have a question about the flowers. <laughs> this is gonna oh, yeah. Yeah. So, not a spoiler because again, this is part of something that happens in her life. She goes to Mexico at one point. She does, and in one of her stories about Mexico, she references flowers. Did that happen? Is that is that a story you found, or did you did you do a little bit Uh of crazy? This gives me goosebumps
1: because when Uh I was trying to figure out how those guys could communicate, I looked at all of the stories that Nellie was doing at that time, right before Mexico. And right when she was in Mexico and every one of them was either about trees like Arbor Day. Um, there's a scene where she's doing um, a story about a flor, like the floral arrangements for weddings for the mm-hmm. spring. I lifted that almost verbatim right off something that she had already written that Mr. 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 Um, Brady that ran the shop mm-hmm. he was talking about the language of flowers. He talked about the language of flowers. He mentioned it. And so she put that in her story, that line in there about it, which makes McCain actually put the book in her mailbox. That part, you know, was me being creative, but everything was about flowers. Then she gets to La Vega, the, the gardens at La Vega, and it's all about flowers. So I looked up, I, I looked at exactly the flowers that she had mentioned in her article, and then I looked up their meanings in the in the language of flowers, and I'm like, oh my god, this can be the language that she uses sort of her own love letter that she's giving him, but she's giving it to him through the news, like through the newspaper. I love it. And if you look at the beginning of the book, because I was, I was picky because I wanted to lift it verbatim. And so I had the publisher list the things that came directly from her own lines because I didn't, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to give her the credit, you know, where the credit was due. So a lot of things were lifted directly like that. I'm glad that you mentioned that. And you're,
0: you're a journalist, yeah, yeah, you know, so- to quote people. Like, <laughs> What's that? You're like, so you're a journalist, you know, to quote people, like, you're like, Oh, I have to make sure this is actually correct. Right, right. <laughs> And you said, what exactly? Okay,
1: perfect. Yes. Verbatim. Got to get it right.
0: So I'm, I'm sometimes Jennifer's eyes. Cause I wear the glasses and she doesn't. So we have a question here from, yeah, I'm, glasses her I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I butcher your name, either Leisha or Leisha Haney. Tanya, do your book characters talk to you? And if they do, have you had to change something in the story about it?
1: They, Nellie talked to me a lot. I felt like, this is going to sound really corny, but I felt like when I was writing, she was looking over my shoulder to make sure that I was getting it just right. She's a I'm, reporter. She would. Yeah. <laughs> She's like She'd yeah. be like, you're quoting exactly. me. Picky. She'd want me yeah. to get it right.
0: She and get out I think Madden's all these years
1: exposing McCain, I think she's probably okay with that. She's been, she's been gone a <laughs> They're while. They're over it. But I, I, like. I don't know that I've ever changed anything that, that they've said that I needed to change. I, I, I can't say that. It's more that they've helped me along the way to kind of cultivate the story as you go along. Well, and maybe some of that is just because you've had...
0: Okay, it's Licha. Okay, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm glad I didn't you butcher go. it too badly. Um, I was just going to say, I wonder how much of it is because you've done such a good job as the journalist yourself getting their story right, there isn't much to change because you actually nailed it rather than if they're going, no, that, that's not even close, Tanya. What are you doing? <laughs> they, would have, they would have come with their red pencils and gone, mm-mm, fixed, mm, fixed. Your know, right. ship is terrible. As a writer, I'm really glad that we no longer care about how a person's handwriting is because mine's not legible at all.
1: Mine looks like a she serial killer. She really good handwriting. I was Didn't able she? to look at a lot of her letters at the Carnegie Library and sh- she wrote really really beautifully. So then why is she getting all this this flack about oh your penmanship your penmanship your penmanship? Because she wrote with pencil and okay. she'd erase things and then like write over it things okay, like that'll that. Do it. Mm-hmm. And I think um I don't think her grammar was really all that good when she first started out on the dispatch because I remember um, Erasmus, Q, who she calls QO, Q-O kind Q-O. of saying, you know, you might want to, you might want to brush up on a little bit of grammar because she, you know, she hadn't trained to be a journalist. Right. She, well, she, she actually gets the she job. Didn't have very she much schooling and writes a letter to the yeah. editor.
0: Exactly, and and that whole the whole idea of her not even getting to finish her just general schooling because back to the men who done her wrong. Right. She didn't have the funds to continue schooling. So here she has this drive to do something that she needs more education really to do, but she doesn't even let that stop her. She's she'll just push forward to do it. But yeah, we were saying this wasn't a job she necessarily sought. She just wrote the the a letter to the editor.
1: Yeah. And, got, and, and got of got all things, in. it was it was the the columnist saying trying to pigeonhole women into that position of basically being barefoot and pregnant and not doing anything else. And I could just see her, I could see steam coming out of her ears and her face just like, are you kidding me? Because her reply is what got her a position on the paper. Well, and I love
0: the relationship those two form afterwards. Because Instead of taking it it as like, how dare you young woman know your place. It was like, okay maybe I really don't know could you could you show me what young women are like and educate me and don't you wish yes. people had that kind of attitude can't we all have a little qo in I our feel life? like we all need that right now yeah it's like things haven't no, changed do. that much no they really <laughs> yeah. haven't like we we do we all need a little qo in our life
1: yeah so he was, how- he was one of my favorite characters to write because he was such he was good. I think he was the father to her that she never had. Yes. At least that's that's how I consider him.
0: No, that's how and it for read. them to start
1: out like this and then become, you know, almost soulmates for each other and that mentor mentee. Um, I I really like that. And the but the letters, by the way, that that I saw that she hand wrote were to him. They
0: were to him. Oh, oh my gosh! I would yeah. love to see those. Um, how long was your research process for this? And when you were researching, were you actively writing, or did you research, 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 and then let the draft come as it might?
1: <laughs> I feel like the research took forever. <laughs> um, I did. I did the deep dive for a long time and I was really scared that somebody else was going to come out with a novel before I did. Cause I'm like, how long can it be before somebody else gets this, you know, gets this idea? Um, to be fair, though, they had a hundred years and nobody wrote one. So right, right, and and since then, two other books have come out. Just just so you know, like, well, Matt that's and like and the universe,
0: like the energy and <laughs> yeah. the universe. I just feel like if the idea is that good, like I'm always like, stop thinking yeah. about your idea because even though you're not talking about it, it's going to suddenly leak yeah. out.
1: And they're they're a little bit different. One of them doesn't concentrate so much on the asylum, so much. It's it's a little bit different. Um,
0: but yeah, I. So was it years? Years of research?
1: Um, It was. Yeah, it was years. Part of it is I'm just going to say it like you can read all of the craft books that you want. But when you're writing your first book, it's basically you and a blank sheet of paper or you and a blank screen. And you got to figure it out. You have to teach yourself how to write a book while you're writing a book. Yes. And it's (laughs) trial and error. It's you know, one day you're like, Oh my God, this is the best book ever. And then the next day you are down in the drums drinking vodka because you you can't, yeah. you, you don't well, feel like you have any talent at all. This so is I have why, a lot of that. I have a yeah. lot of imposter syndrome.
0: I, I feel like this is why our show is called Vox Vomitus, which is like fake Latin for word vomit because right. um, Allison and I had a, a very similar kind of like path in some ways where like our, our first book released at the same time and. We write and we like check in with each other, and it'll always be like, "How's it going?" It's like, "I'm going to win an award. Like I am I think- going to become incredibly famous." 100. And like an hour later. Where's it's the Pulitzer for us to drink? I need that one now. That yeah, copy. where it's like, I can't even, these aren't even sentences. I don't yeah, right. know how to write. What are words? There's nothing happening. What did I
1: think mm-hmm. I could do? Like, what have Why? I
0: done? Yeah. Why did I think I was a novelist? Why did I? And you
1: know, and, it, and it changes on a dime. It's not like you're a whole week of feeling no. like you're horrible. It lasts mm-hmm. a couple of days, maybe a couple minutes, and then you're on to the next stage of it. And
0: honestly, the best visual I've seen, or actually bit of film I've seen, is it's when Rapunzel, in the movie Tangled, has gotten down from her yes. house, and she's vacillating. <laughs> this is the best day ever. I am a horrible daughter. Like yes. back and forth and back and forth. It's in pretty much the same way as far as exactly. how exactly cool about it. And especially like you mentioned, it was your first novel. I mean, this was an amazing first novel. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't know that when I started reading it. I, didn't, I only figured that out when I was trying to do a graphic for the show and it was saying it was your debut because I assumed based on the quality of this one that there had been others and I just hadn't heard of them yet. Oh, my head was under you. a rush. Uh, but that whole idea of, until you have outside verification, some of that is really hard to do in that it imposter is. syndrome. And what was the what was the publishing process for you like then as far as getting that outside verification and oh, you know gosh. going you know, yeah, I, know. Doing, <laughs> Take I don't know. That I drink. But yeah, I <laughs> was gonna was say like, I, um, I know this, but I don't know I don't know who published you or what the situation was, whether you did this with a smaller press or a larger press or any of that. So fill
1: us all in. I decided from the beginning that I didn't want to self-publish, that I wanted to go with a traditional publisher. And the main reason was, A, I didn't know anything about self-publishing. And secondly was, I wanted my book to be in a bookstore because that was my dream to walk in and see my book spine on a bookshelf in a bookstore. And so I finished The novel, I had many beta readers look it over. I don't know how many drafts I did, like probably hundreds. I got to the point where you get sick of it because you're working on it so long. It's like the stepchild after a while. And um, then I went to look for an agent and I found an agent who absolutely loved Nellie Bly and had loved Nellie Bly since she was like 12. And she's like, oh my God, there's never been a book out about this. Like, this is great. This is, this is wonderful and so for the next it took forever for like the next i would say like a year and a half she went to the top publishers you know the ones in new york and and sent them the manuscript but she you know you have yeah. to wait like they yeah. they have a huge reading list your mm-hmm. number 30 or 100 or whatever on the list and so it took a year and a half to get through there and i i didn't get an offer and i I had to back off from the editor because I, or the agent, because I, I didn't know where else to go. I didn't know what else to do. And she said, you know what? Um, that's probably a good idea. Keep working on it. Maybe send it to a developmental editor and see what she says. And so no, wait, they like, wanted you to go to a developmental editor after you'd already landed with the agent.
0: So the agent had, did the agent have, yeah, you do because we
1: didn't, we didn't get enough information from the publishers mm-hmm. who said no. For them to say, oh, well, okay, yeah. it must be this. I'll go work right. on it.
0: You didn't, you didn't get any marching orders saying, okay, no, thank you, but change this. So you didn't get like right. a request for, like, I made a joke much earlier about the R&R, which is a, re- a request to revise and resubmit. So sometimes that right. happens and then people didn't, know, didn't okay. Didn't have
1: anything like that. Okay. I wish that had been the case, but it wasn't. And so she and I parted company amicably, and I found an editor who specializes in historical fiction. I was to the point where I wasn't even sure that I could write well. I thought I found an editor or an agent who loves Nellie Bly. Maybe maybe the the story yeah. sucks and it's all it's because of Nellie Bly. No, I, I understand
0: exactly like what you're saying. You're like you loved the concept, but was I actually writing something you liked or you just wanted to like it because you liked the concept so much? You like I the understand concept. That
1: completely. So and I spoke to her on the phone. I sent her I sent her the manuscript and she said, Oh my God, you can totally write. Like it's not about that. But she said I, I want more of George McCain. You have to put more of George McCain in there. Like this whole language of flowers thing, you got to do more of that. You got to do. So the so first I draft didn't have that of much that. of that. What's that? So the first draft didn't have as much of that. Not as much because I was afraid that people were going to come to the book thinking like sort of dark gothic insane asylum, and then they were going to be disappointed if it became like too romancey. I, I oh. wasn't sure yeah. that I could. I could do both of those justice and yeah. have. You did, yeah. But you, but you absolutely did. You did.
0: And, and I say <laughs> that as someone who, by trade, I read a lot of romance because I write romance. So I have to read romance because they make me. And most romances don't do nearly as good a job conveying those those feels that you need. And you did it through the language of flowers. And I love that because I come came to it with like, I want to read a book about a mental <laughs> institution. <Yeah.
1: laughs> and, and then I was course. like, oh, no, <laughs> a
0: love story. But then I was very roped into that and I loved it. And I was, again, thankful that it happened because I'm I'm really, really glad. Yeah. So thank you. I'm I'm glad that I pulled that off because
1: I feel like after I added a few more of those scenes, I felt like it just sort of felt more like everything gelled to me. Like I was telling her story the way she had told it, but I had added enough. Personal elements about her to give the reader more because the other thing I was butting up against was Nellie's already told this story. She told yeah, it over a hundred yeah. years ago, but she's already written it. Like, what am I adding to it? And I felt like with more of the embellishment of him that I was able, you know, to bring that to the.
0: Book. Yeah, it was great. So after so the go after ahead. the development, so after editor.
1: after that, um, I made the changes and then I started going around to the smaller publishers, which took just as long. And we'll I ended still up- have to read it. And I, I ended up with a small publisher. I have like, like the two of you are writing buddies. I have a local girlfriend of mine, Melissa, and she had just found a publisher for her historical fiction and the process that she was going through with them. They were so collaborative. Like she had say on her cover, she had say on her back, back cover (laughs) Um, they feelings. And I'm like, Oh my God, they sound awesome. She goes, well, sit here to your manuscript. And luckily they loved it too. So now we're accountability partners. We're still writing together now, although COVID's kind of made it weird, but, um, yeah, we're with the same publisher and I've had the same experience. I absolutely love them. They're actually more of a boutique publisher. They haven't, they don't do like 10 or 12 books a year. They do more like, you know, two or three but they mostly in historical fiction. And I just can't say enough positive things about them. They just tell us know. the name of that. <laughs> okay. There are, okay. So it starts with the C, but it's a hard C. It's <laughs> Kenrin, K Kinrin. Y N R E N Kenren. Yeah. K-Y-N-R-E-N. Kendrin. Is that Welsh? Yes. It sounds but Welsh. It means um, kindred in old, old English maybe. Or maybe yeah, that, that would,
0: that would explain why That's when nice. you get Kinrin. a C-Y-N, I'm like, that's got to be Welsh because it makes almost whenever we were looking for names like my my two of my children have Irish and Welshish names. Whenever you start seeing things that just don't make sense phonetically,
1: it's usually Welsh. <laughs> so it's probably Welsh. It's and, it's probably Welsh. Probably. and then their imprint yeah. is Kenan Books, which is C E N N A N Kenan Books. Kenan Books. So I I just have been so so happy with them. They've just been phenomenal.
0: I will say I did look them up after we booked you, and I was just looking at their website, and I was just. But they looked amazing. Oh, good. Like really great, like quality of work. The covers, lovely.
1: Yeah, they so. do some coffee table books, too. They do a really beautiful coffee table books.
0: Well, you showed us the cover of your book earlier, and I, I stole it for a graphic because we were we were given advanced reader copies to see, so I don't have a copy to show and go, look how beautiful this is. So I, I, I'm glad that you held yours up because it is a gorgeous <laughs> cover. And yes, I think it do. really conveys just the whole sense of it with what she's wearing and then like the gates of the asylum. It has this kind of
1: eerie feeling. Yeah. But, but they still actually too. asked me to send them, um, they said it we need to know like the mood that you're going for. Like we have our own own ideas, but we don't want to work a long time on it and have you go. No, I don't really like that. So tell me what you like. So I actually sent them other book covers that I really liked and told them what elements I liked. And I said, I want people to know, obviously that it's historical fiction from the beginning, but I also want entrapment. Like I need people to know that this is a woman who is trapped, which is one of those Gothic tropes about the woman in the lonely home. In this case, yeah, yeah. The asylum or whatever. And, <laughs> She probably wishes isolated. a little bit more lonely. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Leave me alone, please. <laughs> right. right. Uh, Tanya, you've been amazing. And this book, again, I'm not done. I'm probably going to finish it tonight because I'm going to stay up all night. Um, was everything I really wanted right now. I haven't read historical fiction in a while. I feel like I, it's been months. We haven't. We haven't. I know. I look at you, Alison. I'm like, what well, have I okay. read in the past month? So, so the only thing we read that was historical fiction was the one where the author said, no, this was my life story. You're calling me old by calling this historical Yeah. Fiction. And that wasn't yeah. historical fiction. It, it was oh, still fictions. living historical yes, fiction. Yes. Well, exactly. Yeah. And she's like, wait a second. The 1960s are not historical fiction. How dare you? But that's right. what it was listed as when you look at some of the categories on Amazon. And I'm like, don't yell at me. I'm just telling you where you're ranked. <laughs> yeah uh yeah so this uh it's been a while since I've read historical fiction and I didn't know how much I wanted to read a novel about Nellie Bly until you wrote it so thank you
1: thank you so much I just I've really appreciated the time with you guys it's been
0: really fun it's been great so Allison thank you of thank course you, for everything you. um thank you everybody who is watching this live and who is going to be for and who will be watching it on the replay Thank you to Roman, our producer, Pam Stack, our executive producer, and everybody at the Global Authors on the Air radio network. This has been a copywritten podcast from the Global Authors on the Air. And stay tuned next week when we have Gervais Haggerty joining us discussing her new debut novel. So we will talk to you all then.